I swear these other podcasts are just a waste of time. I'm skipping through them. I'd rather listen and change my mind. Wes and Nick always help me through my daily grind. Your favorite guys, your favorite lines, change my mind. I swear these other podcasts are just a waste of time. I'm skipping through them. I'd rather listen and change my mind. Wes and Nick always help me through my daily grind. Your favorite guys, your favorite lines, change my mind. Yeah. Welcome back to another edition of the Change My Mind podcast. I am Wesley Sykes, and through the other side of the ether is the Casper. It's my friendly ghost. It's Mr. Nicholas J. Esquire, apparition for hire. I think you're the ghost of either one of us. Not to, not to step on your like extended you know note there. I apologize. Well, um, no, it's okay. Step, step away. But you're the apparition of anybody because I'm the one with the green screen. Your your hands like can disappear at any moment. That's true. That's a good yes. point. I'm just kind of floating right now in the ether. Are you uh, even very? Here? I some may question that. You know, so yeah. I I ask myself that physically I am, mentally I'm I'm somewhere far far away in a deep good deep for you. sleep here. I'm happy. For um, you. but very excited, very happy to be in officially spooky season. Yeah. You know, if you pay attention to Dunkin' Donuts, uh, the fall season started, I think, right around Labor Day with the pumpkin spice coffee getting released. But right. October is here now. You know, we're, we're officially in fall season. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I think on this note, we'll be uh, welcoming back our former resident guy in the chair, uh, Tim Weisberg. 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 Keep going. Wow. Say that a couple more times. Tim Weisberg. Yes. uh, Paranormal extraordinaire to discuss all things spooky, ghostly, and macabre. Now, I... General macabre. Right. Now, last year, I don't think we ended up having Tim on, if I'm not mistaken. It was two Mm. years ago that we had him on, right? I believe as a crow flies, I think it was two years ago. That that is correct. So... uh, Uh, When we had him and and Christopher Balzano, right? Uh, Yes. One of his paranormal buddies. It was a great conversation. So we want to make sure we'll uh, probably archive those. We'll we'll post those in the show notes. Definitely. And those are... Those were... This is going to be a little bit different than what we did with Tim last time. We had like a certain plan. This time... Um, I, I'm really excited to get in a, a ton of all the different things that he's kind of got his fingers dipped into right now. Because if you look at my background, you'll see uh, there's you know a show that he was involved with, a documentary that he was involved yes. with on Tubi. Um, he's been doing a, a lot of stuff lately, and Tim's always been busy, especially when it comes to paranormal stuff. But there's um, if this is your stuff, whether you find it interesting, like Mac, like Mac, how interested we are in this stuff, or if this is the stuff that you actually like, um, it's going to be a good time. There's a lot of different things we have planned to talk with Tim about uh, no shortage of topics. Absolutely. We'll see. We'll see how long this runs here. This could be a long episode. Could be worth it though. in uh, in my opinion, but before yep. we get to all of that, Nick, uh, of course, you know, we send our, send our TMPs out to everyone in the Florida and the Gulf coast area for hurricane yes. Ian. But with that kind of going on in the news cycle here, it got me kind of thinking, you know, in, in the lines of those doomsday preppers, they don't look so crazy when you have a, a natural disaster. How long do you think you can survive currently, right now, at this moment, without power, electricity, hot water, etc.? Okay, my first, my one follow-up is, do you mean like right now, today, or do you mean like... Yes, if, yes, okay, today. I, yeah. Honest to God, we need to go get groceries, so I'd probably <laughs> be screwed. 
like we live right near a market basket, so that's really easy. I mean, like, okay. we walk there pretty much. But you could loot that pretty quickly and still get get some, you know, yeah, your, some good goods there. You're close enough. Yes, but um, in general, I mean, like I feel like in the past, like when I was in Fall River, man, because you you know how high up I was. I felt oh, like sure. I felt so good about like if if a zombie apocalypse happened, I was in a sweet spot. I had a ton of cabinet space. I still have a good amount of cabinet space here, more closet space, so I could definitely adjust if I had to do it in that mad rush um mm-hmm. but i i was on the eighth floor it's like this is there's no way it's gonna get me in any capacity unless it's like airborne thing but you can't really control it at that well point. Are, are you armed are, are you armed with this what, what would be the weapon of choice here for for a potential intruder uh, at, at the current moment i, mean, I would imagine a baseball bat I have a bat. I have a bat right next to me. Yeah, but I mean, if we're worried about like actual zombies, then you know they're you know everybody. No, keeps yeah, Nick, I'm not talking about zombies. I'm talking about in the light of Hurricane Ian, uh, oh. you know, like real life catastrophes here. Oh. Like, how quickly oh. are you, can you survive without power? How long can you go? Okay, like, are are you prepared for that sort? Of right thing? now, no, no, no. Right. Like, when are we ever going to deal with zombies? Hopefully never, but you never know. Um, but if no, right now, Wes, I'm not. I'm not prepared at all for this. No way. Like, I have nothing. Like, do, do you, you usually have like uh, water or anything like that? Or yeah. you know, uh, again, you know, some sort of uh, a go bag. You keep your valuables in a in a fire safe. Um, uh, no fire safe. I definitely. We, we usually are pretty stocked on water. I look. I think in reality, if like we knew there was going to be uh, like a serious weather thing coming, because in New Hampshire we're going to deal with snow a little bit more than we sure. were before, right? Um, we'll be like we'll be able to be prepared for. You know, I, I don't know. I'll probably prepare, make sure we were ready for like a month just in case. Just you know, who knows? Like I, I, maybe two weeks. It's probably more realistic actually. But two weeks. I think yeah, stocking up on the canned food and stuff. We have I have like yes. two or three cases of water. Um, I have that right now, so I, I have that handled. I could, wouldn't be able to to make heat. You know, I have the setup in the house for a wood stove. But don't have a wood stove, um, so that that would be kind of tough. Where you know, okay, got it. Uh, in the, in, in the basement, it would be in the okay. basement. So there, it's all I have the exhaust and everything set up. It's just closed off for it. Mm-hmm. Like there was one there uh, with the previous owner, but gotcha. that, that's something I think about all the time now. You know, this is, huh. it, it, I, it's crazy. Just like you know, because now you're in the house and it's like, all right. Like I think I remember right around this time last year, right when we moved in, we got uh, hit with a storm. We were without power for like two or three days. We had to get a generator mm-hmm. mid-storm, like something like I never even thought about. Now, right? It's like, now we have it, and we haven't even used it since. But again. Little piece of mind there, but yeah, I, I see the generator front. I, I mean, I'm in a you know an apartment building, so that might help me a little bit. But I think I'd be in I'd be in trouble there. But when it comes to like having to adjust and like being able to handle like space wise and everything, I think we'd be in pretty good shape because I have more space now. But um, I, I, I think that however long you think you'd be, I'd probably be like three quarters of that. What do you think you do a month? I see right now. Luckily, we just went food shopping. I think I, we could do three weeks to a month. I think we could do that. Yeah. So then I'd probably be two, two weeks comfortable. But again, I'm prob- probably overestimating there. I, I, I got a couple baseball bats. That's just about it. I got a I got a chainsaw, but that's battery operated. So mm-hmm. you know, I got to be, you know, got to got to use that sparingly if I if, if shit goes down. Right. Well, you have like, you know, if, if we're talking about like, you really have to like defend your home and like people are going to start breaking in, you have kitchen knives too. I know you do. 
Well, that's true too. Yeah, I would spend a, yes. a considerable amount of time just just going back and forth on the blade there. You know, like yeah. someone at a campfire. Yeah. So there's there's uh, you got, and actually no, you have a it's a wood fence, right? That you have at your house. No, um, no, no. It's um, it's plastic. Oh, oh, I was gonna say if it's if it's like metal, like chain link, you could go and go like Negan style, and kind of get get your bat set up that way. Oh, okay. I'm not sure who that is, but I'm from. Uh, the Walking Dead, that's the guy who yeah, had the, carried right. the bat I, around. I think I can picture that. There was like yes. the barbed wire and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Pretty vicious. Right. Yes. But uh yeah, but yeah, I didn't even I didn't think we were going there. Like I, I was thinking the hypothetical for the Well, zombies. I guess that is like the next step after food and everything, but once that goes yeah. out, or and then you're talking about you know protecting your land, your area, like that mm-hmm. so that's also the scary thing about the apartment unit. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're in there with everyone else. You don't have any sort, even though like, I, yeah, yeah. I might I'm, as well be in an apartment with everyone, how close everyone, all my neighbors are around me. But I'm curious how Lauren and I are going to respond when we get that first, like, real big time snow warning um, up here because we're going to, like, like, how are we going to stock? Because, like, I, I know, like, eating wise, we have habits where we can do that, but that's going to be an adjustment for sure. Yeah. So, you know, again, cra- crazy times, crazy times we're in here. But mm-hmm. uh, now might be the time uh where i might have to binge uh she hulk the so what i've been missing out on as we get to now episode seven the retreat mm. coming into the penultimate episode this week um yep. i think you know I, it's probably a time i should catch up to it so for episodes five through eight or so you know maybe mm. maybe this weekend i'll do that but have you have you seen episode seven yeah we're we're watching this one pretty much i, I get confused if it comes out like late thursday or friday but we're usually it's watching thursdays yeah okay we're watching it Friday night, like so. It, mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting getting to it pretty quickly. Um, this one had like a lot of characters, like deep Marvel cuts, like ones that characters I didn't really know. Um, oh, okay. One was kind of familiar, but still had to go and confirm it online. So that was kind of fun. Um, but other than that, it was like, it was like you know, it makes sense for the character arc and everything like that. But it was kind of like a okay episode, I would say of so far. Um, I think it was like I said that the first four and then episode six were all really good. Episode five, episode seven were kind of just like, you know, but five is definitely the worst one so far. So still no Daredevil. Nope. Still no Daredevil. So that's, is that two or three episodes since the, the tease? Um, it was, it, it was, I think episode, f- I believe episode five was the tease. Okay. If I'm not right. mistaken. So but yeah, it's there. pretty far out. If you don't bring them in in this, this episode, that's going to look pretty bad. Like I'm like, again, I'm not going to go and be overly frustrated with it unless the only thing we get was what we saw in that, in the, the, the trailer or the teaser. Cause then it's just yeah. like, that's just, just root at that. Well, point. We do like, get the rooftop meeting, right? He, we do see in the T te- and some trailers that hey him like standing and looking back. Right. Right. Uh, but I'm just saying, if that. that's all you get, or like two seconds more yeah. than that, or it's super late, I just feel like, wh- why are you doing it at that point? Don't tell us you're going to do it. Don't show us that you're going to do it if you're not going to give us more. So I'm hoping we get that over the next two episodes. Um, but, but, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know. That's the one thing right now where I'm like, I'm eh, getting a little frustrated. But right now for me, it's probably a mid B show just because the okay. last, I have two episodes where it's like, it's been, you know, like episode five again was like, eh, what, what was this? So, um, but yeah, that's where, that's kind of where I stand on that one right now. Of course we have right. I've Lord of the Rings show that's going on right now too, which we don't talk about a ton, but that that's been outstanding. And I think I heard this guess, past episode was really, uh, was, was really a standout. 
I, I haven't finished yet. I'm in the middle of the big battle, and it's fucking mm-hmm. awesome. And I, this is one of those things. I think I've told you, you. You know, I do this sometimes. Where there's things that I really like, want to read or really want to watch, and like our show will force us to to like be right on top of shit sometimes. But then there are other things that maybe you don't necessarily care about as much, mm-hmm. so I, I can watch it on my own time. And I really like just wait and wait and wait till I like have the perfect setting to watch it because I just like I, I hear you. I fucking love it, and that's exactly what this Lord of the Rings show has it's been. Like a, right it's now. a little treat. It's a little treat for you. Yes, it has been top notch, man. Outstanding. I can't wait to hear what Tim says about it because he's a Lord of the Rings guy too. But we'll we, we gotta wait a few minutes for that one still. Um, House of the Dragon season one episode seven Driftmark. I have not seen a second of this yet. You started the episode? Yeah, I'm about, you know, a quarter of the way, halfway through. I fell asleep last night watching it, but I'm all up through episode six. Crazy ending to that there. Uh, but episode seven opens up pretty it, – it's it's a pretty uh, crazy episode. From I've listened to some recaps and everything, but this mm. is getting really good. All, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in on this show here. We- no one – I don't like anybody, though. I'm not well, okay. rooting for anybody. And that's the remember, big difference from Game of Thrones. Do you remember what happened? Uh, when, okay. Do you remember last week when we spoke how I said in episode six, there was a character who I was like, oh, this character actually has quite a bit of potential. This character is really cool. And then that character dies at the end of the episode. Do you remember, remember how I yeah. brought that up? Yeah, yeah, how yeah. fucking b- bananas was that? Wait, wait, wait. So who, who was that again? It now? was uh, – spoiler alert for anybody who's behind on House of the Dragon. That was um, – the uh the serpent uh, um damon's wife who's oh that's right oh yes 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 after after the birth right yes yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah because again i kind of binge i watched everything so yeah it kind of blended together so i i I wasn't sure if that happened at the start of episode seven or not so Mm. i didn't want to say that or not but this is episode seven's dealing with the the funeral and it's all this kind of like weird interactions at at the funeral that's where it's taking place so it's kind of it's kind of a cool like one you know uh, bottle is bottleneck bottleneck episode bottle episode where it's all kind of like in one real location. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Oh, okay. Cool. So it's not as big of a time jump because we've been getting a lot of those. Yeah. The every time. And, that's, and just throw maybe just throw a timeline up there for us. You know, just throw a year. Mm. Give me something. You know. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, speaking of giving us something, we were uh, not thrown a bone last week when we recorded because as a yeah. crow flies, the uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds released a uh, trailer announcement, I guess, uh, for Deadpool 3. And we knew that was coming out. That's not the news. Of course, uh, it's all out there now. But Hugh mm-hmm. Jackman will be uh, confirmed to be Wolverine in Deadpool 3. Yep. Um, pretty, pretty huge news here. Absolutely. What if Lacey got tipped off about that? Yes. It, we, we, I, I think it happened. I like, what was it? Like, a few, is it we, because we did a, what was it a Tuesday episode uh, last yeah. week, not normal. Mm-hmm. And we started at five, also not normal. That news dropped at like 5.08 or something like that. I checked the timestamp on his tweet and I was like, what the fuck, man? Um, I saw this thrown out there. Was I don't know if you saw when I quote tweeted, I forget who it was through the idea, but um, friend of TLDR, Colin Bunn was the writer of Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. What do you think about the idea of Deadpool killing the Fox universe as part of the MCU. That's interesting. That, that would be a really interesting and meta way, kind of going like one step further in that fourth, fourth wall break that, uh, like, you know, 
for for all of its faults, for all the things I don't like about She-Hulk, I don't have an issue with the wall break like everyone else does. I think this that that kind of plays. But yeah, um, I again I think it plays with Deadpool as well. Yeah, um, definitely. But again, so all the meta stuff, like I'm I'm here for it. And, it, uh, and just to have those two together, you know, they they're uh, best friends in real life. So you kind of you're gonna have that natural chemistry between them, a buddy cop type of thing. Maybe Josh Brolin comes back and get Cable in there. Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Oh, I think he's awesome. still in the folds, right? I think he he's uh, yeah. still alive at the end of that movie. Cable is yeah. still in play. That would be amazing. Uh, man, they got so much potential with this. And I mean, you could do like an. They, they, there was an old man Logan versus Deadpool um like mini series that Declan Shelby wrote a few years ago or, or he drew I can't remember I'd be interested in that he, he, and then there are plenty of other Deadpool Wolverine stories that you could pluck from from over the years but to me like if you want to like make a huge splash with Deadpool and it, it, it I mean and take advantage of Hugh, having Hugh Jackman in the mix doing having him kill the the Fox universe I don't know how many of those actors and actors could get would get behind being a part mm -hmm. of that but man that would be that would be an all-time Marvel movie. My now, my one caveat to that is that I just hope Hugh Jackman, does, you know, the Wolverine doesn't get too goofy, right? A la maybe how we've seen Thor kind of almost get, or at least in my opinion, a little too far away from, you know, that oh. sweet spot that I liked in Ragnarok. I don't think he'll get goofy at all. I would. Th I mean, my thing would be more so like. Why don't you, you could have them go, it could be a old, like a Logan versus Deadpool where like Deadpool's the one that's killing everybody. Cause that's what happened in the comic. Like it's, okay, you have yeah. all the Marvel universe fight back. So Logan could be leading that charge. And then the only thing that you would have to change is where in the comic Deadpool ends up winning the whole thing. You would have to have Wolverine win the whole thing because obviously they're not going to fuck with Logan. Well, I don't know. We'll see. It is. A, it would be a Deadpool movie there, but uh, mm. lots of cool things. We did not miss, however, uh, the release of the second trailer for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Yep. Uh, that released uh, this morning, Monday morning there, mm -hmm. and very cool. Uh, what, what I'll give Ryan Coogler credit for is that they found a tone and a theme for these two trailers, and they've kind of played them out both perfectly. Yes. I'm very stoked for this. It, they kind of hit on the uh, serious kind of sad tone of dealing with the loss of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, and then also this like kind of avatar aborigian type of like musical feel when you, when you start introducing everyone from Atlantis and mm -hmm. uh, Neymar and everything. So um, I don't know. I've very, very well done trailer so far. I agree. Um, but one thing, and one thing we've talked about a, a lot is how Marvel knows how to cut a good trailer. Now this yes. has been some of their best stuff um, of, of late, but I'll tell you what, watching these trailers, I don't want to jinx things, but I'm looking at it and I'm thinking like, I, I mean, this feels like a can't miss, right? It feels like they're going to, like, it this feels one, like it. Yeah. It's, it's going to get knocked out of the park, but I mean, all the action that's promised there, obviously we get the, like, I mean, it looks like it's going to be Shuri. I mean, that's who we all thought it was going to be. I mean, and, and, a, and a very sleek suit. Um, yes. But I, again, I, I do want to shout out our guy, Casey Walsh. I think he also said, if I remember correctly, that we might see multiple people take up the mantle while it might end with Shuri, but it might, we might see multiple um, at, that, at, at that point. So that would still be a lot of people in play. Yeah. That would be quite the okie doke and probably piss some people off, but also makes sense and that's why you listen to us when we have casey on um if you want to get your comic book news and have all the ins and outs of the business 
Um, speaking of comic books, let's go to the comic book minute before we have uh, our guest on. So from Boom this week, we have the finale of Once in Future. Issue 30 is out this week. Um, and we are, uh, Joe and I already got a look at this and holy shit, it is, ex- is everything that we wanted. Um, outstanding series. And, uh, I can't say more than that at this point. Um, as for image, we have issue 15 of King Spawn. We got issue seven of Rogue Sun, issue three of Dead Lucky. Those, the latter two being part of the massive verse. Um, we have, uh, the, the, the normal uh, monthly solicit on TLDR this week. Uh, Dr. Joe is back in America. Thankfully oh, that is good. confirmed. Oh, yep. fantastic. And, uh, we do have a Friar side chat planned, but that has not been recorded yet. So I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want anything to get jinxed. Been burned on that one too many times. Um, <laughs> but that is it for the comic book minute. That's great to hear about Doc because I think it was what two episodes back when we had Billy on where when you said that he was uh, going going away to parts unknown there and mm-hmm. I was like oh he's going up to Canada like there they have all these restrictions like very tough about coming in like much more stricter than what they are here in the states mm-hmm. I think while he was away they dropped all of those restrictions so he could really? just fly back free yeah oh yeah <laughs> that so is, I think uh, that also means like uh, for for the playoffs. Too, for uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, interesting. So maybe huh. not as much of the you know home field advantage as uh, they m- may have had earlier maybe in the not. season. Huh. You know? Interesting. Did interesting stuff. But yeah, let's get to some more interesting, some may say spooky stuff here mm. uh, with our main topic and our guest. Uh, Nick, I'll let you bring him in here. Uh, you know, you may have heard him on WBSM. You may have heard him on Spooky South Coast. You may have heard him on Midnight.fm. You may have heard him on the Change My Mind podcast in Ooh. the uh, uh, new t- Old Testament days, I should say. He's an author. He is a featured paranormal expert on Haunted Hotel and famously haunted Amityville. And he is a known lurker on the site Mukbang. Uh, it is Tim Weisberg. Welcome back to, uh, to the program, Tim. How are you? Oh, you're you're muted. First of all, so uh, oh, we we'll have to go. get you ready for the spooky. Yeah, yeah. Here. No, no, no. That's my fault. <laughs> I have multiple multiple things to to mute because I was actually making a mukbang video before. So, oh, oh what was the food of choice? Shoving my face. Uh, I was having uh, spaghettios. Oh, these spaghettios. I ate the entire can in one one bite. Did you that use that is- same background that you have right now? That's. I figured since you guys were, you know, standing for me back there, I thought I should do the same for you. So I love right. it. That's that's great, great stuff there. And I, it's so funny you mentioned SpaghettiOs. I was just listening to a podcast, uh, prior to recording a podcast, as one does. They brought up SpaghettiOs. Haven't heard about that in forever. Now you're just jogging my memory. I, you know, I love a good SpaghettiO. It's blue car syndrome, you know, like when you buy a blue car and then you see everybody else has the same blue car. People yeah. have been talking about SpaghettiOs all around you. You just didn't know it. Now, now my now I'm open to it. Now, see, this is what I'm talking about. When, when we're getting into the paranormal, like right off the bat, this is how I know, you know, aside from muting yourself in the opening comments there, that you're kind of like in third gear, ready to rock this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, spooky seasons for me starts. Uh, I start getting amped up for it in August. You know, start talking about it, get ready, start making all the plans. But uh, this is this is going to be the big comeback year because last year was still a little bit slow with getting mm-hmm. out and doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this year I'm going to be all over the place talking about all different kinds of things, and I love getting back out and talking about this stuff in front of an audience. I love doing things like this, 
Uh, and, and certainly during the pandemic, it was great to have people focused on wanting to learn more about these topics. But there's nothing better than being out with people and having them have their first paranormal experience right in front of you. So you, one of the big things that came out, I think, was it last year, Tim, that your big Tubi special came out? I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it was last last November. Yes. So for those who missed it, you can still go catch that on Tubi. It was, as mm-hmm. Wes mentioned, famously haunted Amityville. And we, I mean, I've known as long as I've known you, that's been like your that's what your big thing is Amityville. Um, and you got this this whole ex- extensive experience with it and everything. Um, can you just tell the people a little bit about uh, what went down with that? Because, I mean, I, I would love to know even more about that experience for you. Yeah, they, they reached out to us very quickly. It all came together very quickly. It was in June of last year, and they wanted to do this documentary special for Tubi. Tubi had said, we want you to do this, but we want it done by this date because we want it to be ready for the fall, mm-hmm. which basically meant they had like two or three weeks to put everything together. So I actually was fortunate enough to be in discussions with the producers trying to help them shape what this documentary could be, which normally, you know, you, you don't get that kind of opportunity. They just tell you when to show up and talk. And so we kind of t- we, we went through some different ideas of what to do. They used some of my ideas. They, they didn't use others. And when we kind of was coming together with what to do and you know i'm just assuming that they're coming to the south coast at some point or doing something like this virtually where they're going to have me comment and at some point they just said yeah so when you get to amityville and i hold on what (laughs) we're bringing you guys to amityville in fact we're trying to get you into the house so that you can actually go inside and it, it turned out that we couldn't go in because the owners you know the the new owners of the house that bought it a few years ago they didn't really want to to partake in this but we got to drive there and uh, Stephanie Burke, who is my co-host on spooky South coast. She was part of it too. Mm-hmm. So we drove there. And when, as soon as we got into town, we, well, first we just dropped stuff off at the, at the hotel, which, you know, she wants to go like, get ready, get changed, do whatever, make a phone call. And I'm like, I'm like, how the, the, the house <laughs> the road, come on, hurry up, hurry up. And so when we finally got there and I got to see it from the outside for the first time, I was like, Oh my God. Oh, Oh, just, it's just a regular house. It's, it's just a house. <laughs> and so we, we had the opportunity over the course of the, the couple of days we were there to go by a, a bunch of times. And we even parked out in front of it for a little while, which normally they don't allow. You're not allowed to park in front of it, but we had special permission from the police department to park out there and film some things. So we actually did a, a, a what's called the Estes method, which you might've seen in some paranormal TV shows where we tr- attempted spirit communication with whatever might've been in the house and Stephanie being a medium, she turned on her, you know, her powers as well. And we kind of came away thinking that whatever was there in that house kind of died with Ronnie DeFeo, the, um, the Amityville murderer who actually passed away in prison last year. So was that for you a bit of like a letdown just because, you know, you, this is something that you've wanted to see your whole life. And now it's just kind of like, oh, it's not really that, like th- th- that power isn't necessarily there anymore. Uh, well, it was twofold. In In one sense, it gave me a bit of. Um, a bit of that feeling, you know, a little bit of, uh, I, I wish there was, I wish I had been here at the height of all of this stuff going on, but then part of me was also like, this is comforting to know that it's not something that's plaguing the people that live there now, that it's not something that people need to, they don't need to come harass this. You know, I guess people are still going to show up and take photos anyway, because it's a tourist thing, but people don't have to worry about trying to get into that house. And then the other part of it too, is I had been having, you know, the Amityville case, reach out to me which you know sounds weird but this was something that was 
you know, I was I was basically warned that something there knew about me and was, you know, right. focused mm-hmm. on me. And to know that it's probably not there anymore is a little bit more comforting. I forgot well, about that. And, and so I remember back to our, our last conversation, a couple of things that kind of jogged my memory and what you were saying there. One, you said new owners of the house. I feel like that house was up for sale the last time that we, we had spoken that the town was trying or the neighborhood was trying to buy it to almost block anyone from coming in with bad intentions to buy the house. So do you know any more, anything more about the owners? Yeah. So that was a rumor that, that had been going around that the owners, you know, the neighborhood wanted to buy it. They were going to, you know, depending on who was telling the rumors, uh, some people said that they were going to destroy the house. They were going to have it removed. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the, when you look at the way that the neighborhood is set up, it's super close together. Uh, it's almost like somebody shoved a house between two other houses. That's and how Long Island is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I could see people like saying, you know, we'd be, we'd be better off without this house even here. Uh, but thankfully, the people who bought it did not want to do that. And they just live in it like a regular house. We spent time sitting outside and we saw them come out and like we saw them take the garbage out and put it on the sidewalk. And we saw them uh, coming home from work one day. And, you know, not that we were stalking them, but it would have been, it would have been nice to have known. See, the funny thing is, is we were filming all this stuff and going by and doing all this stuff convert, you know, covertly as, uh, you know, as as we were trying to get it, we were like, we got to get this footage, but we're not supposed to be here. Like there's a sign that says no stopping. Like we're not supposed to be doing this. And it wasn't until the night we wrapped and we were partying with the producers uh, in the hotel lobby that they said, Oh, we we didn't tell you we have special permission from the police. You guys could have just stayed out there all day. (laughs) So it was like, okay, but you, you just, you feel bad for the family that lives there because right. they've got to deal with people constantly outside their house trying to take photos. And, and the other thing, just to, to finish up on that is that you mentioned Ronald DeFeo and, and kind of being drawn to this, uh, this house and this story over the years. I, I think one of our last conversations too, you, you mentioned, I think was it him or maybe someone you, you were pen paling with someone in prison and they pretty much told you to stay away from the house. Yeah, he he had actually been working with a friend of mine, Jackie Barrett, who is a psychic medium who became his spiritual advisor. And she wrote a book about her encounters with him. And when I when she came on Spooky to promote the book, the book, we were trying to get Ronnie on, too. And the warden said that he had already used up all of his media appearances for the year. They weren't going to let him call into a radio show. And so she said to me, she's like, "Uh, Ronnie has a message for you. And I was like, okay. And he said, you know, that, you know, you should stop looking into this because it's, it's, it's looking back at you. And I was, I was just, my mind was blown just to know that Ronnie DeFeo knew that I existed Mm. and for him to give me that warning. And I've become friends over the years with uh, Chris Lutz, who was one of the kids that lived in the house when, when the, after the murders happened, they were the family that bought it. And they're the subject of the Amityville horror. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said that whatever you've seen in the movies is nothing like what really went on. And what really went on was far worse. So to know that, you know, there was something that had that kind of power there, it still sends a shiver down my spine. I don't think I knew that you were friends with Lutz. I don't think I knew that. We met a few years ago at a convention and we've, you know, we, we converse online. He's, he's an interesting guy. Uh, and he's somebody who has spent his whole life battling not only his own family members as to what the version of the truth is, but also, you know, dealing with all these Hollywood cases and, and having to deal with, I mean, imagine having your life story retold again and again and again with you having no say in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it being a mortifying experience too. 
Yeah, and they don't get any royalties or anything from that, do they? Or for for no. the story at that point, that's just public. That's that's news story, right? So. Yeah, George and Kathy Lutz got. I think uh, I forget how much money it was three hundred thousand or five hundred thousand when they first agreed to do the book and the movie. And then, well, actually, just the book. They got paid for the book, and then they never got anything afterwards. So people always criticize them for doing interviews for years and years and years afterwards. But they were constantly trying to, you know, write the story, uh, and 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 kind of do their own names to some bit. Yeah. And so when when you went out there, uh, obviously it was filmed a a few years ago before DeFeo's death. But now you said that now since he's died within the year. No, we filmed we filmed like a couple of months after his death. Oh, okay. Okay. So did you feel a different presence? I know I felt like you kind of said something to kind of touch on that a little bit, but do you feel like, you know, whatever gone on, whatever spirits were there were, were left after his death? Yeah, I think what happened was I, I, so, and, and Stephanie kind of talked me through this a little bit because, you know, she picks up on them and she gets an idea of, of what their, their story is. And even though she didn't, she said like, I'd really have to get in there to, to really do a deep dive, but she can connect with spirits anywhere. So like she could be sitting here and talking to you and talk to your dead loved ones. But she said that sitting outside of there, what she was kind of picking up is that there were, there's obviously going to be old ghosts that have been there forever because the house has been there for a couple of hundred years. So there's all of these old ghosts that were there, but she felt like whatever had plagued the DeFeo family and then later plagued the Lutz family had moved on. So she says, are there ghosts there? Yes. Is there whatever might've caused these murders and certainly caused the Amityville horror still there? No. So she, her, her idea, her sense and feeling was that when, when Ronnie died, that was kind of the last bit of this thing getting what it needed. So it kind of just went away. So now it's probably in another house somewhere. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Someone else's problem. Another story to tell another movie to be made. I I love it here. Um, So, okay. This this is something kind of crazy here. And I'll hand it over to Nick after this, but this is an idea that I've, that I heard that I would like to hear your opinion about. It's not an original thought of my own here, but uh, about haunted houses and them being energy portals that allow for like uh, almost like we'll use the term, like an incursion like event uh, throughout timelines here. So for an example, like, uh, you know, a house gets a reputation for being haunted in the fifties because the then homeowner comes in contact with let's say the current homeowner in 2022 uh, during this incursion event, you have a blending of the timelines, like say like interstellar uh, for example, uh, which then leads to the current house being haunted because the time, you know, because since the fifties, that's been known as a house that's been haunted, but you're really just doing a form of like maybe time traveling or something like that. So is that, is that a, a crazy idea or is that something that you've, you know, come across when talking to people? So it's actually it's a it's a pretty commonly accepted theory in the paranormal that this is a possibility. Um, So what it is, is we think that there are a variety of different ways to explain what goes on with ghosts. But one of the possible explanations is it it all breaks down to quantum mechanics and the idea that, you know, if if I can quote my favorite TV show of all time, Quantum Leap, you know, Mm -hmm. time is, is a piece of string that sometimes that string gets balled up, allowing all the different points on that string to touch each other. And so the idea is that what we are really experiencing is are these time slips uh, so that when I walk into this place, there's some sort of thinning of the veil that allows me to see back into 1850. 
mm-hmm. and or in your case, 1950, say. So, um, you know, this 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 window has allowed me to see back into that. And so the ghosts of that era, the people of that era appear to me as ghosts. And likewise, they would have the same thing going on. They would be seeing the people of our era as ghosts. Now, what's always kind of hung me up on this theory a little bit is if that's the case, how come the ghost stories from the 1950s aren't talking about people wearing the clothes that we wear today and having the appearance that we have today? It always seems to be right. that it's, it's people from the past, no matter what. So my, my wonder is that whatever these windows might be, it doesn't kind of work two ways like that. It just keeps letting the people that are there see glimpse into the past because, and there's a reason for that. The it's called the stone tape theory because it came about from a TV movie in the seventies with that name, but the name is stuck. The idea being that the, the, the foundation of the building, the walls of the building, the, the environment around the, the location helps hold in energy. So all the energy that's ever been expended there is recorded there and imprinted there. Um, like, so if you go to most haunted houses in new England and they say, Oh, there's all kinds of ghosts here. My first question is, well, what's the foundation look like? And it's usually field stone or granite, which has a lot of quartz in it and quartz amplifies and records energy. So we actually have a scientific reason why there would be this energy recorded and, and, and playing over and over again in a place. What that doesn't account for is when it's intelligent and you can actually interact with it. So I think that the you know this this time slip mm-hmm. theory explains a lot of what we see, but it doesn't really explain a lot of what we interact with. I am gonna make I sure when that. I buy uh, buy home a house like that, I gotta make sure it's not foundations, not quartz, because I ain't dealing with that shit. No fucking yeah. way. And instead of bringing like a, a home inspector, just bring Tim. You know, yeah, he'll, he'll do everything that you gotta. We're do. bring yeah. Stephanie. You kidding me? She's the medium. The, 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 the sage. The hard thing about that, though, is it doesn't necessarily have to be the foundation of the building. Sometimes it's the the geology of the land. Sometimes, you know, we one of the things that we always get when we're looking at a haunted location is we get the USGS geological report and we see, you know, what what is this house built on? And is it in, in normally, especially here, like in the in the Bridgewater Triangle area, it's right. all giant shelf of, of quartz underneath underneath us. So we've we're basically sitting on one big paranormal battery. Yeah. So, you know, you bring up the the. Bridgewater Triangle too, which I I don't know why I hadn't thought of this before with um with Stranger Things, right? We we got the whole satanic panic stuff, right? With everything with Eddie and everything like that. You you watched the the latest season, I did, right? Yes. So I mean that going back to that era, uh, is there something from that time frame like the dungeon? I couldn't believe that that was a thing with Dungeons and Dragons. But was yeah. there like I know there's a lot of cult stuff that went along that went along went along or is it still going on? Uh, in the Bridgewater Triangle area, so there was so it's it, there's there's two answers to that. One is yes, and the other is yes. So there was <laughs> that went on, uh, and in fact, the Carl Drew murders, uh, which is still a very odd case. You know, he was convicted for one murder based on the assumption that he had committed the other murder that he had never actually been tried and convicted for. So Carl Drew goes to jail, and as though that story hits the news, you know, the idea is that he was the leader of some sort of satanic cult because they were talking about how he called himself the devil or called himself Satan. And, and this was, you know, the idea that this was an active cult that was out there. It seems like over the years that that aspect has been overplayed, that that was more of a fear control device mechanism for him to use over people. But at the same time, Alan Alves, who is the, uh, the cult cop from Freetown and became a national expert in cults, he will tell you that there was a cult that was actually operating out there in the Freetown state forest and that they're still there today. 
and you can oh. go out there today and you mm-hmm. can see signs that they've been out there mm-hmm. and they've been practicing whatever they're doing. But the, the real cult is not the thing that's ever going to be making the headlines. So, you know, as he said, it's in his research into it, there's very powerful people in southeastern Massachusetts that are involved in this. And you're never going to catch those people. You're going to catch the low-level people that are doing the low-level crime for them or people that are trying to just kind of be cult by association. So, yeah, you know, it did get stopped to some degree, but it's also still something that's happening. The cult stuff too. It's like don't get me wrong. Like I, I do believe in like the spirits and everything like that. And obviously now the, this whole time travel thing, West. I mean, that's a whole other thing that's getting thrown in the mix. But the cults are just like they're they're so they're very much real. They're very much there. And I mean, we were talking about um, what was it the the Netflix show that we were talking about recently, West, about the the mom, a sense of the mother, right? Yeah, right, did, right, right. Did you catch that, Tim? Yeah, and that was you know that goes to show that. It doesn't take much to get somebody to buy into some of these. It, it really just takes a charismatic person to, mm-hmm. to really get people into this. And, and I've dealt with enough, you know, people who have been involved in cults. Uh, there's there's a, a cult that operates, you know, here on southeastern Massachusetts uh, that uh, people talk about all, all the time in Plymouth. Separate mm-hmm. from the Freetown one? Yeah. So the Freetown one's kind of a secret cult. Gotcha. Uh, this one is a little bit more right out there in your face. They own a couple of businesses in Plymouth and they actively recruit people and they hold dinners at their clubhouse on Friday nights for, and they invite the public to come so they can find out more about them. They, they, what's it called? May, I, I'm, I'm free on Fridays. It's called the 12 tribes. Okay, and all right. so they've been characterized as a cult by Rick Ross, who is this cult expert, not that Rick Ross, but, uh, <laughs> but not even the freeway Ricky Ross, not, nope. not even the real one. Nope. This is, this is the cult expert Rick Ross who will, you know, he'll look into these organizations and see if they fit certain criteria. And he found that this one fit the bill. And so I started talking a little bit about it because it's concerning. Like the, you go into the Plymouth Facebook groups and people are like raving about their bakery and about their sandwich shop and, and the foods they make. And people are like, yeah, but you know that they abuse their kids. Right. And so like, there's all this stuff that came out and I actually talked to somebody during, during when we did cult week. Yes. Her, her family, including herself, were all wrapped up into this tribe. She escaped. Her sister is still part of the, the group. The, the, her, the rest of her family is all part of it still. But her sister is in Plymouth as part of those that group. And she's telling me the kind of things that they do there. And yet people still you know, want to have this, uh, this mindset of, well, it's not a cult. It's just people that have a different set of beliefs than you. Well, the, that different set of beliefs according to the people who have accused them includes abusing children and forcing people to do things against their will. So that to me doesn't sound like a religion. That sounds like a cult. So for those who haven't checked it out, midnight.fm and West mentioned off the top, but that's Tim's baby. And then you've built it into something special and you did do that. The cult week thing that was last year that you did that, correct? Yeah. It might've been a couple of years ago now. I don't remember, but it was, it was something that we said, Oh, this could be something that we can do every year. We'll have cult week to help raise awareness of it. And it was just so heavy that I, I kind of said to my producer, Michelle, I was like, I, I like bringing this information to people. I don't know if I can do a whole week of it again. I don't don't blame you. I don't blame you. So you you mentioned a couple of things here. So when when talking about the Freetown cult, you mentioned uh, that it was tied to a lot of um, higher up people within the southeastern Massachusetts, south coast or coast area there. Uh, But you also said it's very easy to get tied up into if they're just following through charismatic people. So 
Uh, um, how does someone, a high-ranking official, high-ranking person, person of high value within the, the community, get wrapped up into something like that? And what would be there um, th- there for them to gain? Well, if you're if you're Alan Alves and you're you're the person who looked into this, you say, well, the reason why they became high-ranking people in society was because they were part of the cult. So it, it's, it's not so much that you, you reach this level and they recruit you. It's, you are, you're their, you're their guy, you're their person. You're the one that they want in that position. So you're groomed within the cult to go and take over these roles. And, um, you know, he would never give me any, any solid indication of who it was, because as he said, you have to deal with some of these people on a daily basis with your job. So I'd rather that I didn't tell you who these people might be. Yeah. I also think that, you know, Alan might be, he he might be, seeing ghosts everywhere where they might not necessarily be there because he was so wrapped up into it. I was going to say, if you're that far deep down the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I think that for him, it might be, you know, it, and certainly at the time that he was active and, and working, he's long since retired. Certainly at the time that he was out there, it might've been more prevalent. I don't know that it's that way now because I don't know that it could operate in the shadows as much now mm. as it did then. But you know, these, these other cults, uh, where you, you know you have like one singular person like so for example in the sins of our mother it's that chad daybell guy yeah you know it, it doesn't take much for somebody to start to convince people that you're somebody that should be followed there's another woman who has i don't know if you saw the the hulu series about her but teal swan yes yeah, so i haven't watched it but uh my lord actually didn't Ju- Ju- julia watch it uh, maybe she's all into cult stuff. Yeah, I can't Lauren keep track like- of what, what she's watching. All and, yeah. well, I think it's- Lauren watched it too. So yeah. Yeah. People are reluctant to label Teal Swan as a cult leader, but it it's a cult. And Rick Ross certainly has, has defined it as one. And it just shows how easy it is for people to be looking for something. I mean, Keith Ranieri and Nexium, you know, people are looking for something. This oh. is promising them something. And next thing you know, they're doing anything that that person suggests that they do. I mean, some people would even say politics are a cult because you get that one charismatic leader and you, it doesn't matter what you say about them. People are never going to want to believe it. They're only going to believe what that person tells them. Yeah. And, that, and that's pretty interesting. And the, the thing with cults, though, and if I've seen my fair share of documentaries, and again, through osmosis of my wife, I've seen quite a few over the last six months or so. Um, the, the early parts seem fun. It seems like uh, it's a it's a good everything seems really utopic and everything works out. I think where people start to get into issues, it's when the leader starts screwing the wives of all the other people. Right. The sex always comes into to play. Right. It's always sex. And and if you go back and you look at, say, uh, you know, the Branch Davidians and David Koresh, like that was where a lot of the contention started. People started to believe that he was indeed the Messiah. Until he said, you know, God is telling me I need to lay with your wife. And that's the thing that I, I, I think most people will look at that and start to question the motive behind it. So I, I you know, don't like, know. Yeah. But, but it's, it's easy to say, well, God wants me to impregnate your wife because they should all be having my children. And which is what David Koresh said. And if you listen, if you're, if you're all in on this guy being the Messiah, it makes sense to you. But then you start to think about it afterwards and you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, what, what was the real reason that this happened? Because uh, does he really need to do this? Could, could this have happened a different way? And as, as those thoughts, thoughts start to enter your mind, that's when you start to break down everything that you've been told and you realize, so it's, it's both, it's, it's, it's both the part where the person with a cult leader realizes he has kind of achieved full control, but it's also where it also tends to also unravel. 
Yeah, and it's interesting hearing from the people that, like you mentioned, the the woman from the Plymouth uh, the, um, cult. The the one that jumped out to me that I listened to first with Lauren actually from your interviews was the woman from the Scientology group. She was, wasn't she? Um, it was the founders, right? Like his assistant or something like that. She so she became the, the kind of the right hand person of L. Ron Hubbard right. within the organization of the Sea Cadets. So. You know, Crazy. Scientology is Scientology, but then within Scientology, they have this special branch called the Sea Cadets, which is kind of like the elite of Scientology. And the, the idea was that he put uh, L. Ron Hubbard put these people on ships and would use them as like his own version of the Navy. Now, the reason why he had to be on ships so much was because he was wanted for tax evasion in like so many different countries that he couldn't step foot off a ship. He had to stay on the water to stay a step ahead of the authorities, but she was basically his secretary, his right-hand person. And there with him every single day Crazy. for years. And she was raised through the system. And like, and that's where like, when I listened to her, I was kind of like, huh, it sounds like in a lot of ways, she's still largely okay with some of it. And, and doesn't want to go and bash it after the fact. I'm like, and I, I I didn't listen to the Plymouth one. I still have it, but like we hear different. I mean, what's another one? Tiger King, right? With the um, Doc Antle. That thing's that one's supposed yeah. to be a cult too. And we hear the girl who got out of that group. She's kind of more comfortable criticizing it and bashing it. But it's interesting how like there are some people who will like speak, like say they're not for it, but it's like. Yeah, you get down to it and you kind of still believe in some of the things. Well, and it's also a shame thing, too, I got to imagine. Yeah. That, that if you're completely bashing it, then you're completely bashing yourself for that, you know, period of time that you were a part of it, um, which I think got to imagine it's got to, you know, be soul crushing to, to relive that. It's true, but there's also an added element with Scientology that these people, and this is what's going on in the back of their minds, I think more so than anything else. There might still be some of that, you know, I did get positive things out of this. So you saw this when you look at the Nexium documentaries, like people feel like they actually had better lives as a result of it. So right. it's hard for them to really be all in on, on, on turning on Keith Raniere. But if you look at Scientology, there's a reason why some of these people are afraid to go too far. And his name is David Miscavige. Oh uh, he's, he's the guy who's still in charge of the church of Scientology. And he is a vindictive person oh. and he will make their lives a living hell. Oh. So I forget which documentary it was that I was watching. There was one that was on HBO a while back and they really dove into like the kind of things that he would do to keep people. I think I saw that. I think I know, I know what you're talking about. I, or I saw one of them there as well. And, and what's crazy, I think it's, it's the slap, right? That's, that's one of the things that he would do. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I might be speaking out of Turner. I think Will Smith is a Scientologist. He is. And yes. if you talk about the slap with Chris Rock, like that's a sign of like to keep someone in line, like they'll smack you. Like that's something that they do in there. And I was warned before we started. So, the, so just a little bit of inside info on the cult week, the Rick Ross interview, we had actually recorded that um, a month or two in advance because he has a very busy schedule and he wasn't available for the week that we had planned to do this. So we pre-recorded with him. And then I had a few months to kind of dive deeper into what he was saying before I got into these individual cases the rest of the week. And so that was the show that kicked off the week. And Rick warned me, he said, listen, just so you know, you're going to be on his radar now. 
Like just because you were part of a show that bashed Scientology, you will be on the radar. You might get that visit. You might get that person that shows up or or runs into you in the parking lot outside of work and and tells you, you know, like you should really have all your facts straight before you're talking about Scientology. We would hate, we'd hate to see something happen to you. You know those kind of things. So I, I mean, my outlook has always been that I had no problem bashing some of these these other cults for what they are. I always tried not to dive too deeply into the Southeastern Massachusetts cult because they are here among us. And I, I don't want that situation to arise, but Rick Ross said, you know, when you're dealing with Scientology, it doesn't matter. They'll find you wherever you are. Oh boy. Well, I now So on, on the flip side to play a devil's advocate here uh, with, with Scientology, I just saw something crazy on Twitter that was uh, talking about Stanley Kubrick and a lot of his movies, right? And a lot of the hidden messaging uh, that could be uh, taken into a lot of his movies. And they're talking about eyes wide shut. Um, and and uh, maybe as his um, ode, his omission to a Hollywood cult, right? That was, I think that's one of the prevailing uh, theories about that movie. Um, and that, that movie maybe it was about the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers or, or something being at the head of that group. Um, with with all the uh, masks and everything like that, and and that movie scared Tom Cruise and uh, of the Rockefellers so much that it drove him to the Scientology Church for protection from the Rockefellers. Very crazy or Rothschild. I always confuse those two. Well, but. he so yeah, the Rothschilds. But it, so he was uh, he was a longtime Scientologist before that film, though. So okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So again, I'm just reading something passively on Twitter. I was like, that's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot. See, here's the problem with Scientology. And, and if you've watched the documentaries, you know what it is. It's it's a system that's built for you to always feel like there's somewhere else you need to go with it. So which True. actually kind of a lot of religions are built on. But the idea is that, you know, you have to keep paying and you have to keep right. mm-hmm. you know being yeah. part of this and, and contributing to it. And and Cruz is all in with it. I mean, he's, uh, you know, David's best friend, like they, they do things together. And so for for him he's been somebody who must have been at all the highest levels by now. They must have told them everything that there is to know. And it's almost like in my mind, at some point they all realize it's a scam. And then they decide to just continue to be part of the scam because how can you get to the point where you think that you're a th- you know, these Thaden beings are coming down and inhabiting your body and you can reach all these levels. Like you've got to be, really nuts to to buy into that. And I don't know that I believe that Tom Cruise is really nuts or will yeah, like, that matter. What do you have to like seeing is believing at a certain point, right? There's a, if you're in it for so long and keep t- being told there's a next level, there's a next level at a certain point, you have to see some results here to continue to buying in. Or maybe like you said, you're just so pot committed that you're like, all right, I'm going to carry on this lie now. Yeah. Well, just imagine if, like I said to you guys, like I can solve all your problems in your life and make your life better. You have to do this thing called going clear where you have to hook yourself up to this machine and, and tell me truths about yourself and pay me money. And then, you know, when you get to the certain point, I'm going to reveal all these secrets to you. And then when you get to that certain point, I'm like, all right, you ready? Here's the truth. We're all space aliens. I think most rational person would would have been like, all right, I'm out of here now. That's it. You're not getting any more money than me. Any more money. Yeah. And, and now you just have all their blackmail information too, because you yeah. just have all that going clear information that they and that's, that's you. the idea behind it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible, um, uh, exploitative organization, but 
you know, uh, as, as always, there's always going to be some good with all the bad. There are going to be, be people that are part of these cults that feel like their lives have been better for it. And as long as they just keep trotting those people out there, then it's going to be hard to fight the truth of what they really are. Oh, man. Now, now that we've had Tim on, we're going to get that interaction, Wes. Someone's going to show up at our... Well, our Oh God! Yeah, yeah. Now, now we're going to be on the list here too. Yep. We're going to get a cease and desist letter from from the Church of Scientology saying, you know, please don't mention us again, or we'll sue you. Well, and, you know, you mentioned that uh, David Miscavige, and I think even to a certain extent uh, Tom Cruise. But you, you can certainly—I've never been around these people, but just by watching them, you can kind of tell that they have an evil presence to them. Maybe it's with their facial features or how they react to certain things. Uh, I think it's certainly in the eyes for a lot of people, but, you know, maybe possession is too strong of a word, but how do you tell um, mm. people who are maybe possessed or have bad intentions or have bad energy vibes? Um, and how, maybe how can the, the audience people avoid that? You know, I think uh, what's, what's the show that what we do in the shadows does a good joke of that, right? The energy vampires. So it's a real thing. An energy vampire is a real thing. So there are people who are, um, willing energy vampires. So there are people who decide to live the vampire lifestyle, but because they don't want to actually consume blood because it's not really a very safe thing to do. So there's a lot of people and it's probably pretty hard. Uh, I do know somebody who is a human blood consumption vampire and he has to go through so many steps to get people to, you know, sign waivers and certain rights to allow them to drink their blood and all kinds of things. But Oh my God, well, he's a lot of going through the legal channels, though. So, yeah, he's doing everything above board. It's all <laughs> it's all consensual. Okay. But with energy vampires, a lot of people have realized that really what vampirism is about is just an exchange of each other's energies. So they've gotten together. And so there's a lot of sexual vampires, too, for the very same reason. Uh, so what they do and, and really a sexual vampire is just taking the attention. It's not even necessarily about the act. It's about having somebody pay attention to you. And so okay. the energy vampire was a way to kind of be able to have the same effect by letting each other just kind of be in the same room and, and soak up each other's essence. But some people do that to you when you don't want it. And some people do it when they're not even realizing they're doing it to other people. So the person that you hate talking to at work that always seems to corner you at some point, you're like, I'm never going to get out of this conversation now. Like those people yeah. are energy vampires and they suck the very life out of you. So that, that, you know, that's just a way that you can see an idea of how this works out in society. But if you feel that there is somebody that is evil, I don't know. See, I think evil is a very, it, it, it's only something that we agree upon based on social mores. So evil for you might be different for me. A lot of people who go out there and, you know, somebody might climb a, a watchtower and kill everybody. And you say, well, that guy's evil, but that guy thought that the people he were killing were all demons that were going to take down the rest of us. So he was doing something righteous and glorious. So it's, you know, it's, there's, there's so many nuances to what good and evil actually can be that I look at it as if you just see that somebody might be a problem, stay away. And if it's somebody that you can't stay away from, then limit your interaction with them. And if it's somebody that you care about, uh, make sure that they see a mental health professional before you start going down the path of, you know, does this person need an exorcism? Does this, per because we've seen so many cases where, because now there's this influx of people who are demonologists, people who decided they were going to be a paranormal investigator saw that you could be a demonologist and said, well, that sounds way cooler than just ghost hunter. So that's going to be me. And next thing you know, they're trying to perform exorcisms on people that can do a lot more damage than if they were actually possessed by a demon. 
because you are playing into a psychosis. So it, it really has to be a men- and even the church will make these people see a mental health professional before they'll actually conduct a ritual exorcism. So that's that it would always be my advice. Unless you are somebody who is a mental health expert, I would always make sure that somebody gets involved in the situation just because you can do damage to somebody unexpectedly. This is why you only trust the reluctant exorcists like Constantine. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot to be said for uh, the people who don't want to do that job but have a calling to it. It's it's a real thing. There are mm-hmm. people who, I, and I know people in the paranormal world who have been drawn to it against their will, but they just really? have a knack for it. Yeah, the, well, there's something called discernment, which you know Constantine has that ability to discern right. you know, who's a demon and who isn't. Discernment is a real thing. Uh, it's something that the church uses it's something that you know lay demonologists and lay exorcists use so if you have that skill and you have that ability it, it's something people can fight against whether or not they want to use it do you have, so when it comes to you know exorcism and things like that but actually quick aside how do you feel about constant uh, keanu coming back as constantine i love it I, i've been hoping that would happen for years <laughs> I, I, i'm happy about it but at the same time as i said when the news first dropped like i would also like someone who like can actually be not yeah, Keanu's Constantine is cool, but I also want like actual Constantine too. Cause there is a little bit of a difference. Yeah. And I think, but I think that they have created that movie universe for him that can exist sure. separate from, you know, the way they've been doing things with the DC shows. Sure. So I don't oh, think yeah. one has to supersede the other. Right. Agreed. Yes. Yeah, so let's have my thing is let's have fun with this. And then when Keanu's done with it, then we can go and have a different Constantine and have fun with that as well. Or as you as you know, they they have no problem like blurring the worlds now and, and uh, the universe and all that. So maybe you have both Constantines in the same film. Oh, well, there right. we go. Let's get weird. But when it comes to actual exorcisms, Tim, you know, I for all of all the things that probably scare me most, I mean, cults are like the most real thing because that we we see them on Netflix documentaries, and we see it in the news. Like they're very much there, very much real. But the things that probably like make it hardest for me to sleep at night is if I, if I watch something like an exorcism, like exorcism of Emily Rose, right? That was more about the case and everything like that. That really rattled my cage. But have you, I don't feel like I've ever asked you much about exorcisms and your experience with them. If you know people who do exorcisms um, and what, what that, you know, what that's been like for you over the years. I do know people that do them. I've been invited to take part of them in them. And I, I refuse because I don't, yeah, I don't, it's, it's not so much that I'm afraid. I don't have any kind of spiritual grounding. Like I don't have any spiritual beliefs. And so if I was going to go in into the room where this exorcism is going on and I think to myself that this is just a mentally ill person that the, you know, these people might be playing into a psychosis. If any of these thoughts enter my head, it's not beneficial for the procedure that's trying to happen. So I just look at it at, and I'm not saying that I would definitely feel that way, but I know that there's the possibility that I could. Right. So I don't feel, feel like my presence would be helpful in any way. Um, uh, certainly, you know, if it was one of those things, like if I'm watching it behind a glass thing, like, you know, watching somebody's execution, <laughs> you know, maybe that's a different story, but I don't need to be actively involved in this. And the other side of it is if I'm wrong about my, what my beliefs are, and, and it turns out that there really are demons and devils and all that, I'm going to be an easy target because they're going to just go right after me because why not go for this heathen that doesn't believe in any of this stuff? It's an open vessel. Yeah. And so I, I've tried to avoid it, but I do know people that do it. And I've seen video of some of the sessions that they've conducted. And my friend Keith Johnson, who is kind of like my first paranormal mentor, he was somebody that really taught me a lot of, of things that I know. And he is a demonologist. And I, at the time, 
thought nothing about, you know, I was like, the exorcisms aren't real. None of this, this part of, of it is real. And he showed me the, these videos of people who were speaking in tongues, speaking languages that they didn't know uh, that were acting, not like themselves. And it, and it didn't seem like it was anything from the movies. It just seemed like it was somebody that was a regular person going through some sort of mental health episode. And that's what really kind of unnerved me the most about it is that you can have somebody that's possessed right under your nose and not even realize it. You could have somebody possessed, but is also a drug addict. So you're blaming everything that they're doing on the fact that they're a drug addict. You could have somebody who is possessed, who is, you know, bipolar. So you think that treating the bipolar gets rid of that problem, but it's, it's, I think that these people who have these afflictions just become more susceptible because if there are demons, they know that they can kind of get away with it. And I'm sure if you give a demon Ritalin, it's not going to make a difference. Right. Well, you know, I'm sufficiently rattled now. Thank you. So this goes, and again, this might be a little loopy here, but this kind of goes into a, a, a language that's been adapted over time and, and different words and whatnot. So you're talking about spirits and possession uh, and drugs alcohol right that's been called the spirit i was joking around with nick about that before i think it goes back to some latin some base root al cool was another type of spirit that possesses you um and and you act differently right you know you can drink vodka you might get a different drunk than you were to drink whiskey or beer or whatever uh do you buy into that at all into um alcohol being um a possession of spirit you know or, or possessing you with a certain amount of spirit while while you're drunk essentially and I think it goes even beyond just alcohol. I think that's certainly one factor of it. But if you think about it, you know, these stories predate, you know, written history. There have been stories of people being possessed and exorcisms having to take place. Uh, how do we know somebody didn't just go out and eat the wrong weed when they were out there looking, scavenging for food? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we know that somebody didn't get sick from eating something that they shouldn't have and then started hallucinating? So there's a lot of different factors that could have happened over the years that played into the, because we only had spiritual explanations for everything, you know, what, what's thunder and lightning? Oh, God's bowling and, you know, flashing the light. I don't know. Like, so there was all these, you know, little things that we would come up with to try to explain the world that we didn't understand. And so I think a lot of the stuff that happened now that, that happens now still kind of plays into those same beliefs we had thousands of years ago. I like that. Okay, yeah. here. Now, I have a uh, upcoming up, and I think it's in December, going with the family to a medium uh, to go, you know, kind of see to interact with any past loved ones and see what comes up there. Oh, uh, so I forget where I forget where it is, but in Providence, maybe. But at any rate, um, what advice do you have for people who have gone to maybe, you know, how to get into the right mindset and, and preparedness for that to maybe be the most open to uh, that sort of situation. And then maybe first, uh, is there any situations in which you wouldn't recommend someone going? Um, I would, I would caution somebody who recently lost somebody from going to see a medium mm -hmm. because Stephanie always says it takes about a year for a spirit to really transition to be able to come back and, and interact with people correctly. So, you know, you've got to wait as much as it hurts to do that. You've got to wait, but I would also be cautious because listen, not every medium is legitimate and not sure. every medium. Some mediums are legitimate, but they just don't have as much mediumistic ability as they think that they do. Excuse me. So, um, a lot of times what happens is they get that little bit of it and they're like, okay, I'm good. I'm ready. I can go start charging people for this. And, and, you know, Nick, you can probably relate this back to, you know, 
baseball. Just because I can throw a baseball doesn't mean you want me to be the starting pitcher for the Red Sox. I mean, maybe this year they would have taken me, but you know, in general, you know, there's a, there's a difference. There's a skill. There's a honing of it. There's a natural talent that other people have that other people don't have. So some people just can throw the ball, and so they just want to get out there and play the game, and it doesn't necessarily work that way. So the a couple of things that I'd be careful of is, again, if you recently lost somebody, if you go to the wrong medium, they're going to prey upon that, and next thing you know, you're there having weekly sessions because you can't get past the grieving process, and they can't get past the need to get 50 bucks out of you every week when you come in. And then the other thing I'd be careful of is when you do go to somebody, even if it's somebody that's, le- that's legitimately doing like selling out a theater, you know, keep in mind that a lot of times what they have to rely on in situations like that is cold reading because no matter how great the gift is, sometimes the gift doesn't work. You know, sometimes you have an off day and when you've got a theater full of 2000 people that paid to be there, you can't have an off day. So they start cold reading. So what they're doing is they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm picking up on a, a female energy. So I'll actually, I'll cold read you guys right now. I'm picking up on a female energy surrounding one of one of the two of you, but it's, it's an elderly energy. It's, it's not somebody that was gone too soon. One of you lost, I'd say in the last five years, an older woman that's very close to you. Sure. Yeah. Grandma. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting a, there's, there's a G there's a G name to this. There's yeah. a G. Well, her name was, was Mary, but, she was my grandma, you know, so like this is the way that it works. And that's in some cases, some some mediums have to use that to prime the pump a little bit to try to get you to talk about like who it is that wants to come out. In other cases, they're just going to go through that. Like John Edward drives me nuts because I watch him and I can see that he's just cold reading the whole time. So you have to be careful and be aware of that. My suggestion is don't give them anything more than you need to. If you go there and you want and this is a, an, an amazing thing to have to, to say, but. Don't go in there looking to contact any spirit that you might have posted about on social media. This is very much like that old Steve Martin movie, Leap of Faith, where like they're listening to the people that are walking into the tent and then feeding that into his earpiece to tell them like what to talk about. And and it's kind of like they could very well because you're buying these tickets online with your your name. Yep. And so, you know, not that I'm saying that they all do this, but I'd say eliminate the possibility that they could. And so all these little factors kind of play into it. And, and the more you give them, the easier it is for them to not be making a true connection. So, you know, answer the questions when you're asked, but don't give any more than you need. Hmm. Okay. All right. That's I like that. Makes that makes a lot of sense. That's a good tip. Um, I, I'm, I'm apprehensive to ask you this question because I do want to make sure I get some sleep tonight. Um, but I was talking to Lauren bef- beforehand and I was like, look, well, if you could, if you had a paranormal expert in front of you, and you had a chance to ask him one question, what would it be? And I got two things from her. One, and that were along the same lines. One, what is the scariest interaction you've had with occult-related dealings? And at the same time, uh, is that also uh, what that the, the event that convinced you uh, most about paranormal existing, or was there another experience for that? So, I, I mean, I was kind of convinced already that it existed before I started pursuing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I just heard too many stories. And, and I think I was just open-minded and wanted to believe it because it seemed like something that was very interesting to me. And I would hope that if I spent all that time looking into it, that it would be real. And, you know, I think I've told you before, the moment that I said, okay, there really is something to this, despite having, you know, had my aunt and uncle living in a haunted house and experiencing things there and, and everything that I've had happen to me over the course of my life, it was when I was thrown against the wall at the Lizzie Borden house by something that wasn't there. And that's when I was like, holy shit, there really is something here. And 
So that was very unnerving, but I've also had so many experiences since then that are in the positive vein that I don't, I don't buy into any of this being scary anymore. It's scary for two reasons. One, because we don't understand it. We don't know about it. So for you to have this experience, because you don't have the same level of knowledge and experience I have with it. If you walked into a place and something happened to you, you might get really freaked out by it. It would take a lot to have me have that kind of reaction. And then at the same time, I've also learned that a lot of times it becomes scary because fear energy is the strongest form of energy. So these things kind of want us to be scared because it's that energy that we exude that they're grabbing to be able to manifest more. So if you're in there and you're cool and you're calm and you're like, hey, ghost, let's hang out. Let's talk. I have questions. You know, that's not going to help them communicate as much as if you're like, is there anybody here? Uh, you know, and you're exuding all that extra energy for them to kind of use to, to feed upon and manifest. So I, I've found that what, and I just had, so not, not to, um, not to try to, you know, turn this around to event promotion at all, but I just did an event Saturday night where I went to this place for the first time, the Emory estate in Weymouth. It's a place that's only been open for investigations for about a year now. And what's different about this place is instead of dealing with ghosts from 100 and 200 years ago, like I do in other places, these are all people from a family that died 30, 40, 50 years ago. So they know what it is that we're doing and they understand the devices that we're using. And it's not like you have to turn on a flashlight and say, you know, good, sir, do you see that candle that I've lit that electronic candle? Can you touch that candle? Like you can actually say, can you turn the flashlight off? And they know what a flashlight is. So, and I had the most intense experience Saturday night with a positive kind of partnership between what was on the other side, that whatever spirits were there were like, yeah, we know why you're doing this. You want to get answers and you want to find out more about this. Come on here. We'll tell you as much as we can tell you. We can't tell you everything because for whatever reason they can't, but we will give you as much as we can. And what we were getting was just insane, incredible, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's proof because it, you know, it's all anecdotal. Like for example, we use this device called EchoVox, which I've, I'm sure I've showed you before, which spits out phonetic sounds, but no mm-hmm. words. And we have that running. And there are two girls there, uh, Kim and her friend. I can't remember her friend's name. But Kim and her friend hadn't seen each other for a while. And in September, it was Kim's birthday. So the friend gave Kim her birthday gift and said, uh, you know, here, I'm sorry, I'm late with your birthday gift. And she's like, okay, thanks. And, and so this device says, happy birthday. And we're like, well, happy birthday. Whose birthday is it? Obviously, it's somebody's birthday. But Kim says, well, I just got my birthday gift today. And you say, okay, that's kind of weird, but does it necessarily really mean anything? And then she's like, yeah, she gave me my gift. Uh, my birthday was in so She's telling us this whole story. And the device says, not from Walmart. And then the two girls just start cracking up laughing. And we're like, well, what's so funny? Well, apparently, it had been the other lady's birthday a few months prior. And Kim had gotten her this gift that, she got at Walmart, but she thought she could pass off as like something she got off Etsy. So it's like this cheap Walmart gift that she's trying to make a bigger deal out of than it is. And then of course she ended up telling her friend that it actually came from Walmart. And so the funny thing is, is this ghost kind of knew that story and was relating that back and saying, yeah, you know, you got a present and it wasn't from Walmart. So like that is something to me that has a layer of intelligence to it, a layer of knowing, Wow. but it's not scary. It's not something that freaks you out. It's For just, you, it's not, it's it's not it's 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 a person having it's a person existing in another plane of existence, you know. It's yep. just like you and I talking now without having to be in the same room. 
Sure. You know, I, I still know what's going on in your life and I can have that conversation, but I'm not there with you. And it's kind of the same thing in this regard. Oh, sure. Whatever. I don't, I love it. I love it. I, I, I love these. So you say it's a, uh, a positive experience with a spirit, but you might not be, uh, hold the beliefs to participate in an exorcism. Uh, one, my question, what's the difference between holding those beliefs and the beliefs in a, in a positive spirit? Uh, well, I, it's not that I don't think that there are negative spirits out there. I just think that there is. I think no, that, but I mean the positive experience that you do have. I think someone could interpret that as a religious experience. So, well, um, my thing isn't that there, but there isn't. So you're you're not questioning about my belief in exorcism as much as you're questioning my belief in a lack of religion. Well, yeah, I, I would think like they're almost kind of one and the same. If, yeah. if, if that you experience one, that that you know the other one could be plausible. You know, that and, next leap of faith is not as as big in the stone. But it depends on what you're looking at. I see a difference between a, a a man living in the clouds deciding how my life goes, as opposed to the spirit of a person that I know existing after their physical body dies. So I don't I don't necessarily okay. see spirits as having to be spiritual. Uh, in that regard. Now, what's what's funny about this particular house is they were all evangelical there, so they were very super religious. So you have to kind of be cognizant of that and respectful of that in the house. But yeah, I don't, I don't see, I see it more as a scientific thing um, sure. than it is spirit. Although I, I do use the term spiritual about it because you're, it's not going to be explained by our our understanding of science. If it was, we would have already been able to do so. So instead, it's like. You know, you have to kind of say this supersedes science and it becomes the spiritual, but I don't think the spiritual has to necessarily be belief in God as much as it has to be belief in the idea that we can exist without our physical shells. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Okay. I like that. Again, it seems like it would be like an almost easy step to make if you have that experience. Again, I I went to Catholic school, went to Bishop Stang, and I remember having teachers who said they had you know, like religious experiences where they're speaking in tongues, they get so compelled and, and uh, overtaken by the spirit. Right. Um, and, and I would hear the, or the, uh, these other, you know, again, anecdotal stories that you hear in class and I've never experienced anything like that, but to experience something close to that, I would feel like that can be easily interpreted in any one type of way, right. Depending on your background. Right. And, and, and it depends on what it is that you're expecting to happen. So expectation plays a big part in this. So if you go into a place and you know that it has this particular history, that's what so many people focus on. And so they're worried about like, well, I want to go to the Lizzie Borden house and encounter Lizzie Borden because I've heard other people have gone there and encountered Lizzie Borden. I know what happened there. And then you might have a completely different experience than what it is, but you're going to call it Lizzie Borden because mm-hmm. that's just what you're expecting. I, I call it most famous ghost syndrome. You know, it's like every bed and breakfast in New England claims that George Washington stayed there and every bed and breakfast in New England claims to be haunted. So therefore, it has to be the ghost of George Washington. Right. And so those kind of things I shy away from, because if a ghost really is a person that doesn't exist anymore, and I don't know if that's necessarily the truth, but if that's what you want to believe that it is, then you have to realize that each one of those people have their own story to tell. And it's not up to you to tell that person who they are. Hmm. So under that whole premise, the same thing you're talking about with the 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 like famous ghosts and everything like that. Everybody's looking for that. I mean, big part of that is because of what we've seen in popular culture with movies, with shows. And I'm curious when it comes to these the movies that are based on a true story. Um, you know, whether it's like The Conjuring House or anything from the Conjuring universe, or of course Amityville, and there's plenty of others. What 
is there one that you've now that you kind of know all these different stories a lot better and know the real stories behind them? Is there one that you look back at and you would say to people, this is the one that's like the most altered, I guess, from the actual story. Oh, if it comes to what's been changed. Well, I think Amityville certainly has been changed over the years. That story has been very bastardized, but I also feel like that there was a kernel of truth. Even though, you know, people look at the fact that the Lutzes, uh, you know, the story about the Lutzes and William Weber, the lawyer for DeFeo, sitting down and concocting the story over three bottles of wine. Yeah, so they they did do that. They did sit down and have wine and talk about everything. But that doesn't explain away every experience that they had. Mm. And so, you know, it's not the big hoax that everybody thinks that it is. It's just that people have decided to put that label on it. And so the other, you know, so that's one of those stories that I think will always kind of be that case. But you mentioned the conjuring case, and that really is one that is the very definition of how Hollywood and Ed and Lorraine Warren in particular can get involved in a case and completely change the actual facts of it and, and, and obscure the truth for whatever purposes. So the story in the conjuring is that this woman Bathsheba Sherman was a witch and she killed a baby on the property and all that stuff. Bathsheba Sherman was a woman who lived in town. There's no evidence of her being a witch. There's no evidence of her murdering anybody. There's no evidence of her ever even being in the Arnold mansion, which is the house that became the, the conjuring house. So it's just that that was a name that Lorraine Warren picked up on, which she could have picked up on by walking through the cemetery and seeing Bathsheba's grave. But that's a name she zeroed in on. And she has since turned this woman into a witch, <coughs> excuse me, and made it so that her entire existence has now been blasphemed. And people will go into this house and try to contact Bathsheba Sherman and, and be like, why were you a witch? Why were you doing these things? Why? And it's like, none of it is true. Uh-huh. And so I got to investigate the Conjuring House for the first time last uh, back in August. I'd never been. It is not this negative place. It is not this dark place. It is very warm and very loving and very welcoming. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on, but it's not as terrifying as, as people make it out to be. I guess that it was at times for certain people on certain investigations. I happen to be there with Andrea Perrin, who is the family that lived through the Conjuring case. So maybe that's a little bit of a different connection. But everybody that I know that has gone there repeatedly says it's not what hollywood made it out to be and really what they did with that movie is they took an existing horror script that they had they took andrea's story that she'd been writing and she wrote a three-part book series house of darkness house of light house of, house of darkness house of light and they took little bits of elements of her story and they added it to this pre-existing script that they had and turned it into based on a true story so whenever you hear that term based on a true story just know that there's probably very little truth into it <laughs> yes yeah yes, exactly well, i mean is there one then that you think that is like they say is based on a true story and it actually is like, Hey, this is actually pretty well done. And, and do, you know, does justice to the real story. Uh, I don't think so really, because <laughs> so many of the, well, the problem is, is see Hollywood doesn't really have uh, a, a need and, and a necessity to make it as truthful as possible. Like they have every right to have dramatic license in the story that they're telling because their job is to make a good movie. Uh, I think that most of the haunted house cases that you see are always going to be embellished. There's houses like the SK Pierce mansion that have a very weird story to be told. That is kind of dark. And, and, you know, now it's coming out on the other side of it as they've renovated the house. I, the last time that I was there, I felt like everything there was positive and that all these, and I've had negative kind of scary experiences there, but I feel like everything that was happening there has kind of gone away because the house is, is renewed. 
And, and I think that a lot of these cases that you hear about, maybe, maybe they were as terrifying uh, back when they happened to people, but because these p- places become a place of focus, maybe they go through some of that renewal. And maybe that's what this all boils down to is that these ghosts just want attention. And when they start to get the attention, they get sick of the attention after a while. Hmm. Interesting here. As we, as we wrap up, because I feel like we've talked to you for, for two hours here, but I, I, I want to be cognizant of your time and the people's time as tonight. well here. Uh, I want to run through a conspiracy theory lightning round here where I'll, I'll give you a few topics. Nothing too... Um, Nothing too out there, nothing too, too polarizing, I would say. Uh, and then you tell me whether yes or no or, or, or weigh in on your thoughts on it here. Sure. All right, here. We'll, we'll start off with the conspiracy theory lightning hour. Flat Earth. Flat Earth. I think it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Okay. Hmm. All right, there. I, I think there, it could be some validity, you know. I've never been to space. I've never, I don't know. Who knows? Have you ever been in an airplane? Yeah, I've been in an airplane. But what does that show? Curvature of the Earth. Uh, you know, that's just the, the bubble on the, the plastic windows of the airplane. Um, <laughs> how about, if, if not flat earth, how about hollow earth? Uh, I don't think so, just based on, uh, you know, a rudimentary understanding of geology. I do think it's possible that there are um, openings in the earth. Like, there's probably a lot more caves. Like, if you watched Hellier and they talk about the cave system that can go underground and all that, like, I believe that there's probably places around the earth where that happens. But, in, you know, in terms of there being a, a race of people living in there, I, I don't think so. So Bad you people. are calling Jules Verne a liar. Is that is that my understanding? I'm calling him an author of great fiction. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so if not Hollow Earth, how about this is something I came across in watching a new movie recently. Um, I, think it's, I think it's Rupert Emmerich or Robert Emmerich uh, movie there. Hollow Moon or uh, the moon as a megastructure. Yeah, I don't I don't believe that either. Uh, I do think that there is there's a desire to think that the moon is more than just what it is. And I look at it and I say to myself, gee, it seems really odd that we just have this one body out there when other planets have multiple. Like, how did this happen? Uh, but at the same time, I, I kind of understand that we don't have the, the same gravitational pull as some of these larger planets to have more moons. So I I I. I think that's a fun one to look into, and it certainly makes for a lot of great stories, but I, I don't see it as being a possible thing. Yeah, I think the compelling uh, the, the compelling piece of information that makes it a, maybe a question, and then you can kind of spiral out from there, is, is the exact placement of the moon, right? And how you, it's like one 334th size of the sun, or it's like perfect. And it's the way that it's perfectly positioned between the sun and the moon where you get that eclipse, like what's the statistical anomaly of that, right? And it's also uh, like a proportionate size, again, to the sun, but also to the earth. It's very, very um, again, weird that you would have that per- precise size. I, I don't know if it's as weird as you might think that it is. I, I mean, I don't know. It just, just seems like it, it, it would be an anomaly. Um, what do I know? You know yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not Neil deGrasse Tyson, so I... <laughs> You do I'll have him on your show there. once in a while, though. Yeah, I am fortunate enough to to get to talk to him, but uh, I'll 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 ask him about that next time I have him on. Oh, I'll thank see you very what, much. what he thinks about hollow hollow moon theory. Please, please do, please do. Uh, how about we'll go back onto the Earth here, perhaps the flat or hollow Earth, uh, Atlantis, the lost city of Atlantis, and if so, where do you think it would be? In your best guess, 
So I, I don't know how much I believe in the idea of Atlantis. I do believe in the idea of a lost civilization. I think that there's entirely possible that there was a civilization that was far more advanced than we think the people of those times were, but I don't know that it would have been in, 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 in Atlantis has kind of been morphed into this like underwater society and all this kind sure. of stuff. But in actuality, it was probably just another continent that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, there's a researcher named J.P. Haig, who is one of my favorite people in the world. He's so interesting to talk to. And he lives on this little tiny island in the Indian Sea called Mauritius. And he thinks that out there he has found the location of where Atlantis was. And so uh, he's a great you guys should have him on sometime just to go down that, that rabbit hole because he is um, he's very knowledgeable on it. And the way he presents it, it makes sense because there's a U.S military base near there that he thinks is kind of a sign that they were there to protect whatever was there for, you know, for the, for the Atlantean ah. over of the Atlantean civilization. Very interesting. Cause the, the one, I think I've heard this, you know, some guy must've been on Joe Rogan or something that made a case that uh, it was in the, somewhere in the Sahara desert. And from looking over Google maps and Google earth, you can see similar ridge lines that would be the Atlantis rings. And then like, particular flows of sand that would indicate uh water erosion or some flow of water over over some time but um i think it's like right around the eye of the sahara i think that's what they would think uh, and would I, be atlantis i, could be I heard another guy i had another guy on my show that like went out and did dives and found where he thinks there's evidence of it and you know so i i don't and he found like walls walled structures down at the bottom mm -hmm. of the ocean like all kinds of things and i was like you know i i just i i believe that there was a people it makes sense to me, and I, I really think it's a it's 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 conceited of us to think like we're the only people that could come up with some of these modern things that we have. Uh, but at the same time, I also think that like people need to breathe air, and like, I don't sure. think we ever. That, that's kind of important. Stuff, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, lost civilization. This is something that I've come across recently. I find very fascinating. Uh, the the idea of the lost people nation of chataria uh country are, are you familiar with this at all country, this one. so it's a country that's like supposedly in eurasia uh that was right around that time maybe around the time of genghis khan there's like a lot of that and around like the 1800s and what they have to and it incorporates uh different type of human species essentially that also had big large people bigfoot essentially so i think like game of thrones that created all of this like gothic roman architecture that we see nowadays that so we like, can't really explain how it was made so similar um, to the, the anunnaki like that type of similar uh what it, well well more more present so again for more like the 1800s so if, or in like yeah the 1800s like world's fairs there's some who ties in with that some people that, think that the anunnaki are still around well see i i can get into that as well i mean the, the anunnaki you know, we want to talk about kind of spirituality. They could be the the originers, the, the Prometheus of it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like I, I would think that in the 1800s, it's it's possible that there could have been a people that existed. I don't know if, you know, and, and you know, giving them all of these superhuman attributes. I don't know if that would necessarily be something that would have been kept under wraps. But certainly you could have had a people that went undiscovered for a long time. Well, they said part of it has to do with these ancient mud floods that happened around these times that wiped out huge civilizations. And if you look at some of these structures um, that they uncover, that some of these buildings that seem like they're at floor level of, of, of ground level 
actually go down much deeper that have windows, doors, whatnot there. So which obviously leading to like, you know, a much lower of, of building. How much further do they actually go down? Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting stuff, but the Tatars, you got to be careful because much like with any any conspiracy, that's kind of interesting. You know, you're, you're two terms away from uh, racism and anti-Semitism oh and everything. So you know? I had somebody on my show a couple, a couple weeks ago talking about Nazism and the occult and Michelle, the producer, vetted this as much as she could. And, you know, we knew that this guy had a connection to some white supremacists, but like they had, you know, they had a publishing company that publishes book. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. We get through the entire interview with no problem. And then at the very end, like the last 10 minutes, uh, he's talking about some guy who used runes and did yoga and used runes with yoga and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, this is just, you know, far out there stuff that I, whatever. And he's like, and they locked him up in Auschwitz, which of course wasn't a death camp. Nobody actually died in Auschwitz. And then he just like kind of keeps going on. He's like, what the? He just casually drops that. What? (laughs) He just casually denied the the existence of the Holocaust. Yeah, just six million Jews. Yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing major. So yeah, you're right. You are very dangerously close with any of these topics of of falling down that way uh, without realizing it. Yeah, very, very crazy there. Um, so let's go back to the hollow moon real quick. How about a faked moon landing? We, we mentioned Stanley Kubrick before. So I, I honestly don't believe that the moon landing was faked, but I also could see the broadcast of the moon landing being faked. Mm. So when people are like, oh, Kubrick you know, shot this on a, on a soundstage and here's some of the footage of it being shot and all this. I could kind of see where that where people have some validity in that because there was a lot of uh, a lot that could have gone wrong. And the thing that makes me feel the most that it would need to be done is, God forbid, what happened if they stepped off that lunar landing module and just died while the entire world was watching? How much would that have just destroyed the entire world to see something like that happen? So I think rather than take that chance, it's entirely possible that they might have. Uh, film something ahead of time and that's might have been what we saw on television. it also might not be what we saw on television it might have been something they had in the can in case of a problem they could quickly cut to that now so i think i i think you bring up a good idea of having that in the can in case uh something goes wrong or just having it there because again something happens you don't want like a challenger situation right pre-challenger situation in that case but um, I, I also, you're, you're in the cold war with Russia, who is also trying to do the same right. thing. Wouldn't it be very advantageous for you to kind of nip that in the bud and ensure that you're there, whether the, you know, if you win the, the public opinion, then that's all that really matters. Yeah. And if you had gone there and your astronauts died and then cosmonauts went there and they landed safely, like that would have turned the tide of the cold huge. war. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mess- messaging is huge there. Um, you, we, we talked a little bit about spirits and, and drugs and maybe, uh, that kind of bringing out different type of spirits in you another drug that's been highly mentioned recently ayahuasca dmt aaron Rodgers, joe rogan spiritual experiences what do, what do you think about it do you, do you think you meet intergalactic elves and, and whatnot there no i think what happens is you are taking a substance that allows for the god portion of your brain to be activated and you don't necessarily have to take drugs for that to happen there are people who have that happen through electromagnetic pulses there's the god helmet which uh, will give you that same kind of sensation that same type of religious euphoria so i when think that breathing right is can't you get that through through that same thing and you're just you're really just putting yourself in that state so i i think that you are putting yourself in a position where you are willing to 
be open to more ideas. And maybe that means some of these ideas are real concepts or real things that are coming to you. But I also think it's just a matter of like, this is, this is the same way people defended, you know, smoking pot and taking LSD back in the sixties that it opened up your mind. It made you think differently and which is fine. Like if, as long as there's no negative side effects, go ahead and do it, go ahead and explore. But also like, let's not ascribe too much into what's happening without any kind of verifiable proof. That being said, a friend of mine says she's got some DMT and she wants me to take it with her. So I, th I think I might actually do it. Uh, I, I'm very, I'm very interested in that as well. Um, so maybe, maybe we can talk after this as well. Yeah. One more question as we wrap things up here. Uh, one final one, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop. No, I'm <laughs> joking. That's it. Uh, that's, that's all the time we have here for today. Um, no, that, that was great. So that you, you wrapped up the conspiracy theory lightning round. Nick, do you have any more questions? Anything else before we let let Tim, who's been so gracious with his time, go? No, I, I we we there's always more to ask Tim about, absolutely. But I think we'll have to save that for another day. Um, actually, I, I just want to know, Nick, if you've been driving down Route 44 at all lately. Oh. You, you bastard! Just shut. No, I moved. I moved like three hours away from it now, just because of you, bastard. No, no, no chance. Don't, yeah, I don't what wanna... about some ghost stories in Nashua, New Hampshire? You, you know what? I'm going to get out of here. We're not going to make it. We can't talk to us after I this. You can tell them that there's redheaded hitchhikers on every road. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, okay. Anyways, um, I do want to ask you, though, Lord of the Rings show, have you been watching it? You know what? It's funny because I heard you re reference that I'm I'm a Lord of the Rings guy, but I'm not. I thought you I've were. Never, <laughs> never read the books. I've never watched the original movies. Uh, I don't know anything about it. I have a very rudimentary knowledge of, of Lord of the Rings. And it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I never dove into it as a reader. And then when I tried to watch the movies, I kept falling asleep. And so I just saw that as a sign of I'm not going to do this anymore. So it almost gets to the point like I've never seen The Office and everybody tells me I have to watch it. So now it's like I'm not going to do it now because everybody oh, thinks I should. I'm with you. That's, that's how it was with The Godfather and The Sopranos with me. I'm right there with you. I've never seen Hocus Pocus, so I'm not really in any <laughs> desire to go and watch it now, you know? I mean, I like it, but I get it. Yeah, that's a little, but that's a little different. Hocus Pocus and Lord of the Rings. I, I'm just blown away that I thought you liked it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm Whatever. sure I would if I ever sat down and got into it, but I just I haven't done it. It's a bit of a slow burn. Yeah, well, to each their own. But, Tim, I really appreciate you taking time to hang out with us today. Yeah, and, and where where can the people get in touch with you to follow you? Of course, this is this is the time of the year if you're going to do it, but you should do it year around. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Weisberg. Uh, I've been starting to do a little bit more stuff on TikTok at Tim Weisberg seven eight because I realize that's a pretty good platform for spreading some paranormal information. Yeah. And uh, and also, you know, go to SpookySouthCoast.com, go to Midnight.fm, and you can find Spooky South Coast wherever you find podcasters. Uh, 650 something episodes all free mm -hmm. and uh, midnight i've probably done pretty close to that same amount yet but that's under a paywall right but you can listen to the live streams for free which is actually the change change my mind and tldr are carried over there yep every for every friday night we do a live show uh we used to do it every weeknight but you know schedules get in the way i started doing a weekday show at wbsm so i didn't have the time anymore right. but we yeah. do friday nights to 10 to midnight Okay, nice. And then uh, I'm trying to think, is there anything else? Uh, no, just say hi to my friend uh, Marcus Farrow next time you see him. Oh, I definitely will. I, I, I'm, I'll i text him as soon as we're done here. He's on the air right now with his new show. So, Ah, good for him. Love Marcus. Good guy. Well, we will catch up with you again down the line then, Tim, for sure. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, brother. All, All right. right. Take care, Tim. And uh, let's see. With that, Wes, do you think we should skip the Discharge Depot today? Yeah, I got nothing else going on anyway. So okay. that's just, yeah, yeah. I'm just watching grass grow.
Okay, so let's really quickly go. Shared universe. I honestly forgot to check what Dork's doing, and I'm behind on Mac and Goo. So this is really brief this week in the DSG. But uh, I think a, a real, just to recap real quick. I mean, Tim dropping the hammer of knowledge all day long. I mean, just I, mean, I think we got to give him a little bit of credit here, dude. That was so good. I I love having Tim on. Like it is always fun getting to talk spooky with him. Like I and. The only downside ever for me is like I feel very unsettled. Like I don't know if you can see it, but I went to like you asked before the show, like what do you have in terms of like things around the house to keep you safe? Like I have a bat right next to me. I have now put it on my right side now, so that way I make sure I have it, just because I'm freaking out a little bit. But you got the cup of coffee. You're, you'll definitely be wired enough to uh, read and not sleep, so that's good. That's yeah, good. You'll be up, up I'm and fucked. paying attention. No nightmares I'm, for your neck. I am fucked, man. Um. <laughs> But it's like I love talking about this stuff in the daylight. It's not going to bother me. I I just but at night when I start hearing these stories, mm-hmm. man, it's just it's he does such a good job with them and the details and everything. And I know he tells these stories a lot, and that's part of what he does for a living. But man, um, I yeah, the actually, recall, the ability to recall everything is uh, yeah, is great. He I've never gone to one of his library like shows that he does, but I got to go to one of his like live. I should. I really should. Yeah, because he does he does like he does such an outstanding job just when we talk to him and like he he flips that switch right away because like when it's just us and we're not talking about the spooky stuff, he just you know, Tim just dicks around like the rest of us. But as soon as we start talking about that stuff, there's like a like a light goes on, he's like time to lock in and like really like say everything that needs to be said here. So yeah, I, no, I, he, I he nailed it. it. And I loved that right off the rip that he's like, No, this is a pretty well common theory about this time time travel incursion. Yeah. I'm like, all right, that's great. That was mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. So um, so awesome stuff. And that's the only interview that we're gonna be doing spooky related um for the mm-hmm, holiday mm-hmm. for this holiday season. But um we do have our my birthday episode planned for next week, and it's weird because we talked about how the Deadpool uh, news dropped right like as we started our recording last week. Yep. And then I told you, was it right before the episode? No, I, I had it in the notes. I think you've written down in the notes, yeah. Yes, so we're going to do an original versus sequel for my birthday. We're going to do Deadpool versus Deadpool 2. I imagine you're taking the first Deadpool in this one. I am taking the first Deadpool. As, as one like, should. All-time favorite movies. Man. I think like top 10 like for me, favorite movies. I'm going to enjoy doing this because I I like Deadpool too. I'm not sure if I like it more than Deadpool, but I shouldn't tip my hand that much yet. I'll, all I know is that I'm happy. I won't have Francis or have to defend Francis. Yeah, that's it's, that's great. Yes, that is uh, that probably helps you out a little bit. There are a few things uh, I, I like them both, and I can't wait to debate why I think one is the superior one. But that is uh, for next week, though, right, Wes? It is, and it will be at the same bat time, same bat place.